0: This is Saving Grace, living in light of God's love. A podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology. A seminary to the world, committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Thank you for joining us. My name is Mickey Gutemann and uh, today we have a slightly different format for the podcast as I'm going to let you listen in on a talk that our president and founder, Dr. Dave Anderson, gave at a recent Grace School of Theology event. With a Western theme, Dr. Anderson came to the stage dressed as Davy Crockett, but soon he shed his coonskin cap and uh, shared what God laid on his heart about redeeming the time God has given to each of us here on earth
1: then hopefully I can share something from God's word that will be an encouragement to you and help you as you continue your walk with Jesus Christ. When they said they wanted me to dress as Davy Crockett, I said, why? They said, well, you are from Tennessee, aren't you? I said, well, yeah, your name's Davy, isn't it? Okay, okay. You killed a bar when you were only three, didn't you? How'd you know that? So anyway, I conceded to come as Davy Crockett, and in doing so I decided to read about him, find out why he was so popular, what made his name last through the ages. And I discovered it's really because he gave his life to things more important than himself. He spent from 1821 to 1835, minus a couple years, fighting for the poor in legislature, Congress, uh, state government. And then when he wasn't in uh, office anymore, he decided to come down and help here what would become the great state of Texas, and of course give his life at the Alamo. And we all remember the Alamo. Davy Crockett gave his life to transcendent causes, causes higher than himself. And hopefully I can challenge you in the same way uh, tonight, the same kind of cause. And we remember the Alamo, and we shout, remember the Alamo. But tonight I want to start a new chant, a new cheer. It won't be catchy but hopefully you'll remember it when it's over. It's remember Zacchaeus. (laughs) Pretty good, eh? (laughs) Remember Zacchaeus. Because if you can remember Zacchaeus, then you have the essence of what I want to share with you this evening. You know, uh, they asked me to speak, told me what to wear, told me what to speak on. They said, we want you to speak on redeeming the time because the days are evil. And so many Christians are wondering, well, what can I do? I can't control the world, I can't control Putin, I can't control Iran, I can't control much of anything except myself. What can I do to redeem the time of my life? So that's what I want us to think about a little while here. One of my professors, Harold Honer, wrote a tour de force commentary on the book of Ephesians from which this phrase comes from, redeem the time because the days are evil. And in his commentary, he says the word there for evil, which is pornēa, from which we get pornography, is actually talking about any kind of resistance or rejection of God's values, God's commands, or God's kingdom. Are the days evil? Well, the days might be evil when we think about God's values, Seven times more babies have been killed since 1973 than Jewish people were killed by Hitler in the Holocaust. God's values, you know, if you study your Bible, you'll find that innocent life is right at the top. That's why he blessed the Egyptian midwives when they chose not to kill the Jewish babies. They disobeyed the government in order to save innocent lives. God's commandments, When Roy Moore of Alabama has to go to court to fight for his right to display the Ten Commandments in his courtroom, we know we're in a world that discards absolute truth and God's values and God's commandments. What about God's kingdom? Well, the days might be evil when you see the resistance even we're getting right here in our school to what's going on. Do you know that um, just a month ago, we had, had over 400 students in this school. We had 66 students from Cuba signed up and ready to go in module two, starting in the middle of October. And you know what happened right after that? That hurricane came. And if you could see the pictures of devastation in Cuba, and none of those students is able to start with our school now. All over the world, we have students who are being on the cusp of persecution, and even fighting for their lives to stand up for the faith. The days are truly evil. So we want to be able to redeem the time. What does that mean? The whole verse says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Well, you know me, if you've sat under me before, I've got to talk about words. So circumspectly, what does that mean? Well, circum, circumference, we can figure that out, it means around, spec, inspect, to look at, we can figure that out. So we're to walk looking around. Well, okay, because the days are evil, look out for evil. The word uh, in Greek is akribos. Uh, it has the meaning of, of accuracy, of exactness. It's as though you were looking out at life and coming up with some equations and adding them up. The fool looks out at life and adds the equations up, and it concludes there is no God. The wise man looks out at life, adds up the equations, and sees intelligent design. And if there's intelligent design, then there's purpose. If there's purpose for the world and the human race, then there's purpose for my life and your life. And it's up to us to try to find that purpose. And in so doing, we will redeem the time. Well, The person who looks out at life and concludes that there is no absolute truth, there is no higher being, will find someday, when he stands before that being, that his whole life, all the equations of his life, are going to add up to a zero, and he's going to look back and go, oops, oops, it's like doing a math problem and doing a careless error, oops, Only the charis earlier wasn't made by God when he made that person, it was made by that person when he forgot about God. So we're slowly honing in on what it means to redeem the time. Some translations wanna use the word redeem, they talk about making the most of every opportunity, taking advantage of everything that comes your way. But I like the word redeeming, that's exactly what it means, Agarazzo. It's used of Jesus Christ in Galatians 3 when he went into the marketplace of sin and bought us off the slave block to bring us out from our slavery to sin, to free us not only from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin, that we might know the truth, and the truth might make us free. Well, he says you can do the same thing with time. It's as though time is in an hourglass, and you can flip it either way. If you flip it this way, the sands of your life one day at a time trickle down here and add up to nothing. You can do it another way and the sands of your life trickle down into eternity and preserve forever. This way it's like a drop of uh, rain falling on hot cement and evaporating immediately. Doing it the other way is like a drop of rain falling into northern Mississippi and going all the way out into The Gulf of Mexico and abiding forever. That's what we want. I'm going to try to show us how to get there. Another way of expressing this phrase, redeem the time, is to save your life. That's the way Jesus talked about it. He talked about saving your life or losing your life. For example, in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27, he says, Whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is there to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? Now I want you to see something in that passage. After the first verse, which is a verse of self-denial, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow Him. Do you see the word for right under cross? Go down two lines. Do you see the word for? Go down three lines. Do you see the word for? Each time you see the word for, you're getting an explanation of the verse above it. And so what you have is a daisy chain of logic going all the way from verse 24 down to verse 27. And if verse 24 is telling us how to get to heaven, how to be saved, so to speak, then that is a way of getting there through self-denial. It's not a free gift. And it's works. And as John said, it's performance. But look at verse 27, the last four, three lines up. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels. And then He will, what? Open the doors of heaven? Let you through the pearly gates? No, it says He will reward each man according to his works. This is not about meeting Jesus for the first time. This is not about being born again. Theologically, this is not about being justified. This is about being sanctified. This is about your life after meeting Christ. This is how to redeem the time. This is how to save your life. Now, let's go back again to that word save. That's so confusing for people. But if I went up to a teenager who's 16 years old and said, hey, Bob, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? He knows what I'm talking about. What is life? It's his time from age 16 until he dies or is raptured. Our life is a period of time. Jesus says, you can save it, you can lose it. It's up to you. It's your choice. It's what you do with it. Or if I said to um, someone in young life, another young person, I said, John, would you like your life to count for Christ? He knows what I'm saying. The old saying, only one life will soon be last. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's what saving our lives is. And that's what redeeming the time is as well. It's such an important part of our New Testament, but I don't know about you, I rarely hear about this in a pulpit. I rarely hear a sermon on this. It's one of the great concepts of the New Testament. Jesus talks about it several times in the Gospels, but it's the whole theme of 1 Peter. If you could uh, read the introduction of 1 Peter, it goes through a time of suffering, and then it says, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your lives. You see that word end? That's telos. That means goal, telescope. It's the end of all things. It's where it's going. It's the ultimate purpose. It's teleological. It's purpose. It's the end. It's the goal. He says the end of your faith is not to get in heaven. The end of your faith is to save your life, your time on earth. It's such a difficult concept, but it's really so simple. Every day we can get up. Every day we do get up we have a certain amount of time. We can save that time for eternity, or we can lose that time in temporality. One way or the other. It's also the part of the theme of James. James says in verse 21 of the first chapter, after getting rid of the excess wickedness in your life, it says, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to do what? It's able to save your life. He says there are life principles In the scriptures, if you'll pull them out and live by them, he says, you'll make your life count forever. If you live anti-Bible or disregarding the principles of the scriptures, even if you're a Christian, he said, your life will be wasted. It'll be oops. Well, that's what it means to redeem the time. How can we do it? How can I save my life forever? How can I make it count? There are probably 50 ways. I want to pick out just three that I think are oriented to what you have done for our school and what you're doing, I'm sure, in the rest of your lives. The first thing is to build on the right foundation. We're told in 1 Corinthians 3 that no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. Some people spend their whole foundation or build their foundation on their family family is everything to them. My goodness, am I against family values? Heavens, no. The Bible is all about family values. But people can have broken families. People can be left by their spouse. Children can die, saving Private Ryan. If everything's wrapped up in the family, and that's it, unless that family itself is built on Christ, they'll suffer loss. What about a career? You can spend much of your life going through school and uh, working your way through college and studying hard and maybe even a graduate degree and getting a great job with a great company. That company can go bankrupt. You could be fired. Things can happen in your career that can cause it to crumble, and life can wind up a big disappointment if that's your foundation. What if your foundation is beauty, How many sirens have gone across the screens of Hollywood only to find their beauty gone 20, 30, 40 years later? Some of them through multiple marriages and winding up alone and bitter. How often does that happen? Maybe it's athletics. Maybe you're a gifted athlete and you're a professional. Well, how many professionals after age 35 are able to find purpose in life? So many of them say they wind up depressed, don't know what to do with themselves. Some of them become addicts. Some of them even commit suicide. What about wealth? Isn't wealth something to go for? Well, it depends what you do with it. I am in this job, I've met some of the wealthiest people in Texas. I sat down, I had lunch with the wealthiest man in Houston. He's worth $7 billion. And he says, my wife and I just consider ourselves stewards that all this money belongs to God and we just wanna be careful with it. Now there's a man who's using his wealth for eternity. And so he's adding up the days of his life as he goes along and is counting. But what about Cecil Rhodes? Have You ever heard of Cecil Rhodes? He was a white supremacist. He wanted a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant male on every throne in every country in the world. Well, he happened to buy up the diamond leases down in South Africa. He then went on to set up a country with his name on it called Rhodesia. On his deathbed, he said, they can't change the name of a country, can they? Uh, know any countries named Rhodesia in Africa today? Uh-uh, they changed it to Zimbabwe. Build on the right foundation. Whether it's your family, your career, your physical gifts, whatever it is, it can still be built on the foundation of Christ, and then it will last forever. I want you to remember Zacchaeus. We'll come back to that. The second way to do this is lay up treasures in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 6, the most famous sermon ever given, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This might be the most important principle I share with you tonight. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, that's an important principle because our God is a God of love. Our God is not a God of force. He is not forcing him to do his will. And he couldn't force us to do his will because his will is that we love him. And force and love don't go together. As C.S. Lewis said, God can never ravish, he can only woo. Soren Kierkegaard talks, tells a story about the king and the maiden. And there was an all-powerful king. Everyone cowered before him. No one dared resist him. He could crush anybody. But he fell in love with a humble maiden who lived out in the woods. And he thought to himself, how can I win her love? He said, I could bring her here to the castle. I could give her a golden crown. I could give her lavish clothes. I could give her everything she ever desired. And she wouldn't resist me. She would surely come along. She'd probably even say she'd love me. But would she? Would she really? No one can resist my power. So I said, I know. I'll go into the forest where she lives in a royal carriage with armed guards and colorful banners. Even then, she wouldn't resist me. She would still go along, but would she want to? He finally said, the only way to do this is to disguise myself as a humble beggar and go up to her cottage and see if I can win her love. Of course, Kierkegaard was giving us a parable of the Lord Jesus Christ, the omnipotent king who could crush anybody. No one could resist his power. But you see, he would never know if he's loved, if he's forcing himself upon us. And so he makes the first move. We love him because he first loved us. No greater love has any man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And he laid his life down for us, saying, I love you. Now you don't have to love me back, but I love you. So if we do want to love him back, how will we show it? You see, what he wants is our heart. He wants our heart. And you know, you might say, well, we can praise him. We can worship him. We can give sacrifices. But Isaiah says, Lord speaking, you can praise me with your lips, but your hearts can be far from me. Come and learn of this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. How will he know he has our hearts? Jesus tells us. It's a simple principle. Lay your treasures up in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I'm going to share with you what I call the 51% rule. Some of you will think I'm crazy. But I honestly believe if 51% of your assets are in heaven then he surely has your heart. He surely has your heart. You say, well, that's, that's, that's irrational. Well, there are people right here in the city doing it. You've seen the David Weekly sign. He has purposed to give 50% of his money away every year. Now, he can do that. He's wealthy. The billionaire can do it. He's wealthy. Uh, even Bill Gates and Warren Buffett can give their billions away because they can probably still make it on a billion or two. Right? Don't you think? Right, I think so. Most of us can't do that, but that's not the point. The point is, along the way, if we give the first fruits, whether we're making $50 a week or $5,000 a week or whatever it might be, if we give the first fruits, we have a savings account in heaven. And every day we can put money into that savings account. You've got one on earth, I hope. You should have one in heaven. You're putting money in this savings account in heaven, and if you can watch it and somehow you can monitor it and make sure you have a little more up there than down here, you got it. Your heart is with him. Your heart's with the Lord, and he knows you love him. Remember Zacchaeus. What happened when he went to the house of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus realized the Lord loved him and accepted him. Zacchaeus believed in him, and he said, Lord, Lord, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody, I'll pay them back fourfold. Jesus looked at him and smiled and said, Truly, salvation has come to this house. He had no doubt where the heart of Zacchaeus was. What about yours? I'm trying to share something that can be a blessing for you, can help make your whole life count forever, can help you even with the purpose of why God made you, not just giving money, but making sure your heart's with him. And if your heart's with him, then he will disclose himself to you because he says in Deuteronomy 8, I led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. And I humbled you and I tested you that I might know what's in your heart. And then he goes on and talks about money. It's a tangible way that doesn't lie. It lets God know what I care about most. So remember Zacchaeus. Well, how can we make sure that we're just doing exactly that? We can't take it with us, but Jesus said you can send it on ahead. And Randy Alcorn says, if you do that, if you send it on ahead, then you'll know that the things of time have been locked in to and credited to the things of eternity. There's one more thing I want to share as to how to make your life count. It's to seek first the kingdom of God, That's also from the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God has given his children the highest of all transcendent causes. Davy Crockett had some transcendent causes. And it was Wendell Phillips who said, Some men struggle into obscurity, while other men forget themselves into immortality. It's by finding a cause higher than you are. David Crockett found that. He got immortality, at least on earth. As we seek first the kingdom of God, we have a transcendent cause. We have a higher cause to live for. That cause will take you through the difficulties of life. It will take you through bad health. It will take you through the loss of a child. It will take you through all the problems that we run into as we live this life because we have something higher to live for. Thomas Acampus said, let temporal things serve your use, but the eternal be the object of your desire. With this in mind, temporal things only find meaning in eternity. The writer of the Ecclesiastes said, all human endeavors add up to nothing. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. We'll look at that again in a second. But in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, verse 11, he says, God has put eternity into your heart. You are wired for eternity. That's why the preacher in Ecclesiastes says you'll never find satisfaction. You'll never find fulfillment in the temporal things of this life. No matter how good you are at them, you can receive some measure of satisfaction, but it's the eternal things that your heart yearns for. Again, as Randy Alcorn says, life's greatest disillusionments come as we try to force our round, made-for-eternity hearts into a rectangle, the whole of a rectangle of time. Doesn't work. They don't fit. We don't fit. No matter how far we stray away from the path of kingdom living, we remain the children of eternity, not time. We need the basic material provisions, yes, but in our inner persons, we are simply ill-suited for a materially-centered existence. I recently read a book called Tribe. It explains one of the problems with post-traumatic stress disorder. It explains that depression in America is eight times what it is in the poor countries. It explains why our soldiers are coming back depressed, and many of them taking their lives at a rate three times the average American. And it's simply saying that they get out and become a band of brothers. They have a place of importance. They're needed. They have a competency. It's not an acquisitive state of being. No one cares about who has what. But they get out and they come back to America. We've been richly blessed but they're surrounded by people who are trying to get more and more on earth. They have trouble getting jobs. They don't fit. They can't find their place of competency, and they get depressed. Why? Because God did not make us for a materially centered existence. We use material things. We're grateful for them. We thank God for them. We couldn't do the school without them, but they're all oriented toward what's to come, the world to come. Want to prove to God that this world is not your home you're just passing through? Then see if no matter what you make you can't transfer a little more to heaven than you're keeping right here on earth. Remember Zacchaeus. John Tollidson said, he who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. The story comes of a slave and his master who went to Baghdad. Walking around in the marketplace the slave happened upon death in human form. He was scared almost to death because death gave him a frightening look. He ran back to his master and said, master, master, you've got to let me go. I've got to get on my camel and ride over to Samara tonight. I've got to get away. I saw death in the marketplace and he gave me a frightening look. So his master said, okay, go ahead. So the Slave rode 15 hours to Zamara. That very same day, the master was in the marketplace. He too ran into death. And he looked at him boldly and said, Why did you give my servant a frightening look? Death said, That wasn't a frightening look. That was a look of surprise. I was surprised to see your servant here in Baghdad when I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. Yes, the day of our death is unknown. The way of our death is unpredictable, but the fact of our death is inescapable. So if life's greatest certainty is death, wouldn't it be foolish not to prepare for what is beyond this life? Or as Matthew Henry said, it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. Remember Zacchaeus,
0: As we heard from Dr. Dave Anderson, what we do with the time God has given us really does matter, especially from an eternal perspective. At Grace, we are focused on developing spiritual leaders in every nation who can teach others about the love of Christ, a love that cannot be earned and cannot be lost. If you share our vision, would you consider partnering with us financially and through prayer? To find out more information about Grace School of Theology, Or to make a donation, please go to partnerwithgrace.org. That is partnerwithgrace.org. As we close out this year, the first year that this podcast has been in existence, we want to say thank you to you for joining us. And as we kick off this new year, we are really excited about all the great topics that we want to share with you. And if you have questions or topics that you want us to address, please don't hesitate to email us at savinggrace.org at gsot.edu and please tell others about the podcast as well and if you want to help us out we would love for you to take a minute and actually write a review about the podcast on itunes thank you for listening and from all of us here at the podcast and grace school of theology we want to wish you a happy new year you have been listening to saving grace a podcast ministry of grace school of theology For more information, visit gsot.edu slash saving grace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Great School of Theology or its leadership.